0: Well, friends, um, before we dive into the text this morning, let me just pause and, and just say, um, I am so grateful for your lives, um, your generosity, your faithfulness to God, and your, your service to Christ is very telling, and I want you to be very proud of that because, um, again, none of this would be possible if the, the grace of the Lord wouldn't be demonstrated to us and His goodness. And so because of that, um, we can consider His Word. And since we're in this journey along the book of Colossians, um, today we're going to be focusing on Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 11. But may I just draw your attention for a quick moment all the way back to the book of Genesis. uh, Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Just to say, since the creation of man... And when you get into chapters 3, particularly, you see this rebellion, this, 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 this deception that happens, and men um, disobeyed God. And in that chapter of chapter 3, you start seeing how the effects of deception and lies begin to um, extend into other uh, forms or other layers or dimensions of relationships we see the man quickly when brought to account before the creator quickly turns to the woman and says it is this woman lord that you gave me she is at fault (laughs) then the woman like i'm not gonna take this rap she turns around says it was that serpent lord it was that serpent, right? And I, I would imagine, now this is conjecture here. This, is, this isn't like, like biblical. But imagine, right? The serpent, yeah. He was the, the originator, the, the, the genesis of where the deception came from. He was craftier than any other. There. Now, figurative language, we all know who that person really was. It wasn't the serpent, it was the deceiver. And then, just quickly jump into like a, a um, chapter 4, verse 9 of, of Genesis, right? Then you have two siblings. One kills the other. God brings them into account. And God said, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And what was his response? His response quickly was, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So you begin to see how this deception begins to unfold very rapidly in the Scriptures. But then, speed it up to like a book like Exodus, chapter 20, verse 16, and you get these, what some would call the Decalogue, these 10 mandates that are given at this holy cosmic God's mountain with fire and all kinds of, you know, special effects, if you're into special effects. And so the Lord there in verse 16 of chapter 20 of the book of Exodus quickly says, you shall not bear false witness. He didn't say your brother. He said against your neighbor. This stretches the the, the theological considerations even for our text this morning in Colossians. But then not even that. Think about what Jesus did. If you go all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, in the Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus associated a rejection of the truth by religious leaders and associated those to their father who was the father of lies because they would reject the truth that was presented right before him in the incarnated word of god think about that for a moment i remember several years ago i had done some research on a on a on a paper that was called a cheater's high can you imagine that a cheater's high And the premise of that whole article was, what led people to lie? What led people to take shortcuts? What what was it in, in, in the deception that people found that really led them to that? I think a lot, you know, from a theological perspective, one would have to conclude that this is the sinful nature and the desires of the flesh. And so... This morning, it is imperative for the redeemed community in its aspiration to build credibility, trust, and one that fosters Christ-likeness, and, if I may add, one that gives life and freedom to those who are called to form part of this redeemed community must be built on truth. Because truth, after all, derives from God's character and His nature. If we read Psalm chapter 19 or even Psalm 119, we draw that principle of God's credibility. In fact, I think it's Psalm 19 verse 17 that tells us all the collective counsel of God is credible and perfect. Perfect. So there again, um, if you would turn to me kindly and, and turn to your Bibles, whether it's electronic Bibles or a traditional Bible like this, um, go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, verse, from verse 9 to 11. And we're going to continue on this ethics, Christian ethics. And, and, and putting on, what does this all mean to us now that we've put this new self on? And it starts this way. Do not lie to one another. Right off the bat, we are told, "This imperative do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Wow. Friends, this is the word of the Lord for us today. This is the word of Christ for Clovis E.B. Free this morning. And once again, deriving from this Christian ethics and why the redeemed community should be different from the rest of the world. And when I say world, I mean unbelievers. Those who have not been rejected, those who have not experienced this new life in Christ. And so I want to share with you three things very rapidly that really jumped out at me at this time of my weekly study and processing of the scripture. So I'm going to. Take us through other parts of Scripture. I hope this doesn't sound like an academic exercise, but I really gave thought and and, and intentionality to the Scriptures that I'm going to associate our study in Colossians with so that you may go back and dig further and dig deeper and understand and wrestle with some of the concepts that Paul is telling the believers in Colossae. Now, again, just to take a step back, remember that the book of, Colossians is very tied, or its twin sister, as some would call it, is the book of Ephesians. But then also, um, Philemon, the letter of Philemon, is also connected with Colossians. Why? Because Philemon lived in Colossae, and Philemon was the owner of a slave, of a runaway slave called Onesimus. So you can read those and and, and connect those three letters together so that it helps you enrich your understanding of the book of Colossians and some of the principles I'm going to talk about today. So first of all, first thing that I found in this text that really just spoke volumes to me were in its very first words. True unity is possible by putting off all falsehood. And I would suggest that any people group or any peoples that aspire to form some type of relationship must build trust. And this is a very tragic thing that even in the church, there's no distinction between the world in the rates of divorce. And the question is, why? If we are people of the truth... If we live in the light, if we walk in the counsel of God's word and not the precepts of the world or the traditions of man. And so true unity is only possible by putting off all falsehood. And notice what the text tells us again. It it, it reads this way. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self, with its practices observe the imperative here it is a negative command do not do not okay again this is very hard for some people because again we tend to be moralist oh the do's and don't and this is how our life and and this is not again this is not for the sake of moralism This is, again, all derived from the redemptive work of Christ in our lives, the justification and the sanctification that we have experienced in the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And so, again, Paul is really, unlike these philosophies and, and false religions and Eastern uh, religions that, that, that focus on the severity of the body, the practicing of religious disciplines, Paul has a stark contrast to all of that and says, all of this is only possible in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, and, and we cannot forget that. So this, this negative imperative is do not. Do not do what? Do not lie. What does that word lie mean? Um, lies could be expressed in words. Read Proverbs 6.19. Lies could be a way of life. Uh, Psalm 62 verse 9. Lies could even be error. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.11. And lies could also be a form of religion. Romans 1 twenty-five. The question then becomes who are we not to lie to? Because this is written to believers. But the the Decalogue would tell us, do not lie to your neighbor. So are Christians not permitted to lie to one another, but they can lie to the world? You know, those little white lies. Well, it's not just a white lie. I'm just gonna leave out this important fact of my statement. Or it's a half true. It's not a full lie, Pastor. It's just a half truth. So we try to justify, and, we, and this is what Paul is really telling the believers in Colossians hey, do not be false. But this lie is more than just saying a lie this lie in its original, the word in its, its pseudo, and, and, and it implies more than just speaking a lie. It, it speaks more to an intention to deceive. It goes deeper. It goes deeper into our hearts, our intentions, our what comes out from the inside of us. And so in our consideration of this text, do not lie, right? Um, And then notice how he clarifies that, right? He adds to it and really directs, do not lie to one another. Okay? Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to your neighbor. Do not lie to your brother. Do not lie to your church. Do not lie to your pastor. Do not lie to your authorities. Do not lie husbands to your wife. And wives, do not lie to your husband. But I would also suggest do not lie to your children. Do not lie to your neighbors, and so on, on, and on, and on. You get it. This particle clause, right, we see it here, seeing that you, uh, uh, um, in it, right, Be- because, um, again, this, uh, this putting off of, right, notice, putting off this, 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 this particle, this participle clause, sorry, I lost my train of thought there, this clause, right, this putting off modifies, in the Greek, it modifies the word, the verb, lie. So, so you could read this in its original language saying, put off lying. Just like you were putting off your clothes. Remember last week we talked about dirty laundry, or two weeks ago we talked about dirty laundry, right? Put it off, take it off, strip it off. This is what, 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 what we're being called to, strip off all this way of living, The old self and its practices, right? Uh, Again, um, uh, Colossians 2, 11 through 15, again, gives us that image picture and association of what we're reading here in in chapter 3. It was all our association with Christ, our union with Christ in our baptism. In our baptism, we died with Christ symbolically, and we're also associated with his resurrection. And because we put off the old self, in our baptism, we're associated. We, we, we've left it in the tomb. We've resurrected with Christ in power. This power of His Spirit that works within us, that regenerates us, that, that, that reminds us of God's Word and His truth. This is what Paul was telling the, the believers in Rome, um, in Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sinned. The origin of human nature, right? The fall uh, 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 helps us understand where we are at. That word practices, uh, I I found it was interesting, right? Because as I was reading this, he says, okay, well, you put off your old self. But notice how the text continues. With its practices. Again, to help understand what that whole practice entails, you can go, you could turn with me, or you can, you know, just jot it down there in your notes, but you can go back to it and read. Romans 6:6 6, 6 really helps us understand what this means. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, perhaps before I came to Jesus, I was a gossiper. I was a, 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 a person who harbored a lot of resentment, unforgiveness. Uh, like him or not, I, I remember reading the, the book by Bill Hybels called uh, Volunteer Revolution and in there, he talks about this lady called Maria. And Maria, um, you know, had experienced some tragedy in her life. Her daughter, he, she lost a daughter. Uh, uh, as the daughter was driving down the street, she was, uh, she was uh, carjacked and raped and killed. And, and, and time after all the whole uh, 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 court system went, Maria found herself struggling with resentment and hatred in her heart. In and in, in being loved by the congregation that she was part of. And one day, just time after all of this had happened, they were in a prayer gathering, and Maria just released this loud uh, uh, cry that came from the depths of her heart. Ah! As she experienced the true forgiveness, the power of forgiveness of the cross. That released her from all her anger. Now, this doesn't justify what those kids had done, but truly, the power of unforgiveness, resentment, anger that harbors in our heart—these are the things that Christ, that we should put in the grave with Jesus. Why? How many of you remember the Lord's Prayer at towards the end? Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, says another version, right? As you have forgiven ours. And that's the whole principle of forgiveness. We forgive because God has freely forgiven us. This is why it's not an option to forgive. Not forgiving will eat your life like gangrene, like cancer. It'll take you to the grave. Um, so again, this is this imperative, right? Romans 6, we have crucified with him. So that sin, let these things not lord over you. The anger, the wrath, the resentment, the bitterness, the unforgiveness. Let these things not enslave you. And that's, that's really what he's saying. And boy, I caught that. Secondly, true unity is possible by putting on a biblical worldview. Pastor, you don't understand. And I will tell you every single time, you are absolutely right. I do not understand. But we're not called here, and again, this might sound a little bit controversial, but we're not called here to understand all those details. We are called here to stimulate one another in the holiest of faith, which is God's truth. I, I don't, I don't. It's, it's very difficult, friends. When a marriage ends in so much tragedy and so much deception that one is hurt, where do we find the forgiveness? Where do we find the, the power of healing to overcome those situations in life that really tear us inside and are really meant to destroy us? And these are the things where we find truth in, in the Bible. Now, now look, notice how Paul's going to go from this verse 9 to verse 10. And notice this, this, this juxtaposition here of old life with life, new life. And he says, and have put on new life, right, which is being renewed in knowledge. Notice that present That present motion of the words here being used, it's being renewed. This isn't something that we arrived at. There's a a continual progress. There's a progression here that is ongoing, that we are growing or are to grow in. And, And notice this, which is being renewed in knowledge after its creator. You know, commentator David Powell really did a very phenomenal job just unpacking this whole concept for us. He talks about this first consideration of the new humanity. This points, as Powell would, would describe, points to the decisive incorporation of believers in Christ. This isn't progressing, that, that, that new humanity oh, you're going to become. This is an inaugurated situation here that in Christ's work, in his person, we have now been inaugurated into this new humanity that one day at the second advent, we will experience some, glor- some form of glorification. consummation of all things so we live in this tension of now having this new humanity having experienced the power uh, uh, salvation's power at the cross of Calvary and at the resurrection of Jesus but then we are also being renewed. And, and Powell goes on to say, while the participle being renewed points to the ongoing participation. Notice this the ongoing participation of believers as they become what they are already. How's that for our theology this morning? Why don't I lie? Because that's been crucified, left in the tomb. And because it's dead, it should not have any power in me. I should not be a slave to lie, to deception. And this is what he's saying. He's helping us unravel. And we haven't even gotten to the juicy parts of this this whole sermon here. But then notice, notice again how Paul would tell the church in Corinth about this. In 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Many of us here within our congregation are sick. Many of us physically are withering away. Believe me, even at my youthful age. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> It's hard sometimes to wake up in the morning. I'm all like, what is going on here? Oh, you 20-year-olds, I envy you. (laughs) But you're also going to experience what I'm talking about. Then you're going to remember that old Pastor Pablo. Right? Uh, 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 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What a glorious reminder of the work of the holy spirit in our lives as we are being led to jesus as we are being led to encounter that second advent as we await his glorious return what a what a what a wonderful Word of hope, this is for us. Again, um, I can't read it all, but Paul reminds uh, the, the church in Colossian, in Colossians 1 9 through 13. Again, he tells them, From this day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Go down to verse 10 um, so that so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. In every good work, and here it is, an increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, and I love this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Who has qualified you? This, my friend, is very foundational in our lives as people. This is foundational for interpersonal relationships. Because again, if we don't have trust, we don't have community. Again, friends, just look at the world. What is going on? Again, I said it, look at, look at the season of politics that's going on. Oh, my Lord, there is a defamation of character. There's, there's the assassination of character going on. And again, it's, it's the cycle of all politics. But then go beyond the politics and look at the world stage, the wars, the abuse, the deception. All of this should not be present in the redeemed community. And this is, this is the, 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 the contrast that Paul is making here. Um, again, Paul, in, in that text from uh, Colossians uh, 1, 9 through 13, he is basically telling them, you know what? Your faith should be flourishing, and I'm grateful for a flourishing faith. It's growing. It's thriving. I hope that would be said of us. That we don't have the biggest program, but we have a community where faith is flourishing. The other uh, this past week, Paul, I think you and I were talking about prayer. I said, "Wouldn't it be awesome to be known as that praying church? How ironic is that, huh? (laughs) A church that actually prays." I would love to be known as a praying church. I don't have all the answers to the programs and the the challenges we face as a church, but I have one thing for sure. We have the word of God, we have each other, and we have the triune God at our side. What else do we need? The rest of it is just details, my friends, as some would say. So, it is an important thing to remember that the knowledge of God is referred to an experiential knowledge, not just an intellectual knowledge. That 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 again. I'm going to say that the knowledge of God refers to not just a an intellectual knowledge, but an experiential one. It's our praxis and our orthodoxy rubbing against each other, uh, sharpening one another, and a testing of who we really are. We could be full of orthodoxy, and that's just going to be a bunch of theory our praxis really puts feet to our orthodoxy and really s- speaks to who we really are. And that's exactly where this is all going um, again. You know, even the believers in Thessalonica, right? They were, they were told this um, in, in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because of your faith is growing abundantly. Their faith is growing abundantly. I hope we have abundant faith growing here. And the love for every one of you, for, for one another, is increasing. Notice the, the progression here. The, the verbs being used. It's moving. It's active. Not passive. It's active. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and love, in all your persecutions, and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Okay? doesn't always have to be negative it could even be in prospering times so again um, when paul begins to tell them about not just this new self that is being renewed in the knowledge but notice after it's the image of its creator this is an allusion back to genesis 1 26 and 27 genesis 1 26 and 27 both male and female are created in what in the image and the likeness of God. This is very important as we consider the very last part of this text. Even, um, again, I, I, I already alluded to that. Again, we understand through Colossians 1, 15, verses 18 and 20, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Even Jesus said him this, said this, to to those who would listen to him. If you've seen me, you have seen. So who's Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is the image of the, the second person of the blessed Trinity, God in the flesh. And so, as we consider this admonition, we are not to be into the image of the Adam, we are called to be in the image of the second Adam. And this is important for our theological consideration. Why? Again, you can read this on your own. Romans 5, verses 18 through 20. We understand that, that, that through the first Adam, this, this, the, the sin and condemnation became, but we also understood through the second Adam, which Jesus Christ is identified, we receive and we experience grace justification and sanctification third true unity recognizes all people groups as one in christ now this is the climax of this sermon unlike the message of diversity that one would receive in the world oh yeah we want to be a diverse community that we get that in fact that's not the world's message that is actually the message of the cross. And how so? Well, I'll just take you to one verse that you could do all the homework you want. Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 7. You, 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 you discover the cosmic in the heavens throne of God where the lamb is being worshipped. And then you'll find this all peoples, all tribes, all nations, all languages that were Surrounding the throne of God. But what is this text really speaking about? Well, let's consider that. Observe that this, this, this part of the scripture, it goes on to say in verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew. Pause there for a minute. Before you, you, you enter into the, 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 the words of Greek and Jew, here there is not. question, The word here is pointing to a a location. Question for you, where is here at? How do we understand the word here? When Paul is saying here, and then notice the absence of what is not there. He says, here there is not. Is Paul suggesting that the gospel destroys all social constructs and stratification? It appears so. Does it? How does does Philemon read this part of Scripture knowing that he owns a slave? And and yet, if you go to Philemon 15 and 16, Paul would tell Philemon, hey, listen, I don't want you to treat him as your bondservant, which you have every right to under Roman law and everything, but I want you to see Onesimus as a faithful brother in Christ the lord that is hard so what is this text really getting at what is it telling us about the here and here there is not well a couple of things here a couple of things here galatians chapter 3 verses 23 to 29 really help us understand what paul is saying here in colossians for example now before faith came. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, verse 24, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Those are key words there, justification by faith. Verse 25, but now faith has come. Observe the the transition there in Galatians 3, uh, 26. 25, but now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through, here's the F word, faith. Not that F word, please. (laughs) You are all sons of God through faith. Verse 27, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Verse 28, there is neither. There it is again. There is neither. But where is this? In our baptism, in our union to Christ. It helps us understand where the here is. Because the here isn't, we're not there yet. It hasn't, hasn't fully been consummated. We're not in heaven yet, unless you're actually dead. But we're here we're in this life full of inequalities and social disparities the ugliness the raw darkness of humanity and it should not be so in the redeemed community and this is what paul is getting at we need to look at beyond each other's skin color And know that we are all forgiven. As sinners, we have come to Christ, the Redeemer. We have come to Jesus as our our Savior, as our Lord. And it is through Jesus and His sacrifice that we can call each other brother and sister. Even though you don't like tamales and pozole and menudo, I love you anyways. (laughs) I'll forgive you. And so... Again, we understood in Galatians three twenty-eight: there is neither Jew nor Greek; there is neither slave nor free; there is neither. Notice this. Uh, this, th- this is many scholars believe these are very linked together with one another. The, the passage in Colossians in verse eleven and, and this passage here. But this passage, what makes this one different from Colossians three eleven? The inclusion of the gender differences. Many people take this to, to justify egalitarianism, and some people take this to really focus in on complementarianism. But look what Paul is saying here. Here, there is not, in Colossians 3.11. Huh. Does that do away with our world? That, does me coming to Jesus now erase my, my, my heritage and my tradition as a Latino? No. Neither does it with the roles of males and females. But something happens that we receive this new way of looking at life. And I suggest it starts with telling the truth. It starts with building trust. So again, we, 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 as I mentioned earlier, this is why Paul told Philemon, hey, he is no longer a bondservant in Philemon 15 and 16, but... He is a beloved brother. This is why Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Again, something happens there. Here's what I suggest that happens here. And we're going to start landing this plane because um, that's it. My time is done. Come back next week, folks. <laughs> here. Here. Here's where I believe this whole conversation. I already said it. The gospel transcends all diversity, which divides us into social constructs or social stratification. In Christ, all barriers are destroyed. How so? Well, go to Ephesians 2:14 and 16. For in him For for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. What divides people? What divides people? We 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 can all outline things that divide us. And yet, the gospel we're reading by, and notice this, he even goes on, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself a new man. Jesus, when, friends, this is why Christianity is not just a religion, there is real life transformation that occurs. And I would suggest that Christianity, uh, 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 the the work, the person of Christ creates us into a new humanity. So I no longer fight for my, this is my Mexican heritage. Well, that might be important and good because I love their food. (laughs) I love their music. But it's no longer about that for me. It's about Christ and Christ crucified and the power of his resurrection. And so this is what he's saying. All of these that he created himself, uh, 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 one man in place of the two—the Jewish and the Gentile—right? Because they they were the ones living in this racial tension of that time. So making peace, and verse sixteen, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Therefore, or thereby, killing the hostility. Once again, there should not be any iron curtains, any color bars, any barriers of any kind. There must not be animosities against each other, class distinctions, national or cultural distinctions, political or sectarian partisanship. All of those barriers Jesus breaks down in the power of his gospel. And this is what, this is the message that we have here before us. Here. And I'm going to close with this. Look at the last part of verse 11. Caesar, you can come up to the, look at the last part of verse 11. Right? So we know here there is not. Then he goes on into the, I mean, who wanted to be called a barbarian? I'll tell you what, nobody wants to be called an illegal alien. That's demeaning. Nobody wants to be called a prostitute or a junkie. Every time we associate people this way, what do we do? We demean them of their identity. And what is their identity? They are image bearers. Pastor, this is hard. Yes, it is hard. Because even the worst rapist and killer has been created in the image and the likeness of God. That is hard. That's ugly. I don't want that. Well, it's not yours to want. That's how God designed it. This is why the power of the gospel transcends these things and brings people into a redeemed community where they too may experience restoration and new life. And so Paul would say, but Christ is all. Notice the words, the theological tension we have here, the stretching of our our way of thinking. He says, but Christ is all. And in all, in the redeemed community, When we gather, can you stand? Please stand. In the redeemed community, this is why. Would you take each other's hands? This is why we, my dear, beloved friends, this is why. This is why. This is why. Because Christ is all and I hope the day that new people come to church they would experience this because they're not experiencing this in the world they're they're experiencing lies and hatreds and divisions and everything but not so here here we preach Christ and Christ is in us and he is above us And He is for us and He is with us. And because He is with us, my dear friends, we can take this message and love those who aren't easily loved or lovable. We can take the person who's broken and been torn by deception of marriage and sexual brokenness and and addictions of all sorts and love them as Jesus would love them. Because so has the Master loved us. Dear God, this morning, as a united redeemed community, we make a conscientious effort to say no to deception, say no to lies, so that we may experience the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our marriages, in our relationships, in our interactions, even and outside of the four walls of this church. Our community needs people of truth, people who are established in principle, people who live for a higher priority and a higher kingdom. Yes, it's possible in the power and the truth and the word Of your testimony, Lord. Yes, it is possible. And so, Father, this morning as a redeemed community, we stand in solidarity with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love and grace. Amen. My friend, if this morning you find yourself here, Tim, would you raise your hand? My friend Tim is going to be available to pray for you here somewhere in the altar if you just have a need maybe it's unspoken and you just love somebody to pray with you i would invite you to find my friend tim and 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 allow him to pray with you this morning god bless you